So being the awareness, it's not becoming aware, because you're aware all the time. So it's not like trying to become aware, but being, realizing awareness here and now is like this. When you when you think words like becoming aware, then it reinforces a sense of a you're a separate entity as your ultimate reality that isn't aware, and then you become aware. But just in this way of thinking, being awareness, because that's what you are all the time, whether you realize it or not, you know. When you get caught up in thinking about yourself as a individual person, individual body, man or woman, then we, you know, we, we're aware. Consciousness doesn't fold up or collapse, but we're attached, we attach to these identities. So it's like being attached to mortality, attached to that which is going to die, out of just habit, not out of choice, but out of habit. So like habits are what we acquire after we're born. The habit of the ego, the habit of the cultural conditioning, social conditioning, the habit of thinking. <clears throat> so this kind of grasping, identifying, holding to these conditions is, you know, the causes of suffering. So the second noble truth is about letting go of what we're attached to. <clears throat> so we can start thinking we've got to let go of everything. You know, the Buddha said we should let go of conditions. And so we grasp the teaching that we should let go. So one time I remember in, in England a woman said, you know, Ajahn Sumato, I'm so attached to my children, I can't let go of them. And so I uh, said, letting go doesn't mean, you know, getting rid of them. <laughs> the Buddha is not saying you've got to get rid of your children to prove you're not attached to them. But it's, letting go is, is letting go of the images, the, the, the grasping that they're my children, the, the way we perceive our own children, the perceptions, the kind of assumptions and attitudes that we form around our parents, around our children, relatives. These are perceptions. Like those of you who have children, where are your children now, you know, and, and then you, you know, their memories, their images in the mind. 
at this point. I remember in a retreat at Amravati asking everybody, where is your mother right now? You know, just in terms of the reality of being aware at this moment, where is your mother? And of course, it's a memory. We think of our mother, and we, we assume she's at home, But that's an assumption. The actual reality is a perception of mother is, is a sankhara that we grasp in the present. And so the, just the, the thinking of mother brings up emotions, memories in the present when the, when mother is not physically present. So my mother died many years ago, but I can still imagine my mother. I have memories of her. My mother and father, Lumpo Cha, memories that arise in the present. Then the awareness aligned with wisdom is to you know, you know, just experience, grasp the memory of your mother. You you get caught into she was like this, like that, and so you end up thinking, proliferating, and whether you had good relationship with your mother or not very good relationship with your mother, you can get resentful and stirred up. which has nothing to do with being here and now. It's just the, uh, the proliferating ability to remember when someone we love dies, we have, what we have left is a memory. So the memory then is, it will, we, we can, it'll, come and go in our consciousness throughout the rest of our lives, especially if it's like a parent, mother, or father, or child, or close friend, or relative, husband, or wife. So this is to point out just, you know, how we can live in this realm of memories, clinging to memories. How memories of the past, of past injustices, maltreatment, and so forth, how we can create suffering in the present in situations where the conditions have nothing to do with it. You know, the conditions are pleasant, like sitting here in the Dhamma Hall, we can think of uh, past humiliations or resentments. It has nothing to do with the Dharma Hall or the people in it or the monks. 
but the grasping of memories of being abused or mistreated or humiliated in the past, the grasping of it out of ignorance, then we become resentful, angry, bitter about it in the present. So that's why in, in investigation, inquiry into the way things are, the sanya, the memory, we have retentive memory. Human beings have, you know, we remember, we can memorize things, we can, you know, we have languages. We have this retentive memory. So we remember what, you know, mistreatment when we were 10 years old or when we were beaten by the schoolmaster or when we were jilted by our girlfriend or boyfriend or, you know, we can remember this throughout our whole lives. So it's, it's very, you know, I encourage you to investigate what memory is. The past is a memory. And how grasping memories we become, you know, accordingly. If they're pleasant memories, we become happy. If they're unpleasant memories, we become unhappy. We become whatever we grasp. So that's the becoming which leads to birth, which leads to death. So it's like desire, dana, grasping desire, ubadana, becoming what we're grasping, bhava, and then it's rebirth, jati, and then old age, jaramarana, old age sickness, death, jaramaranang, sokaparite, vatukatomanat, upaya. So like this, Avicca, ignorance of Dhamma, affects everything, you know, our whole life is, is going to be an experience of suffering. Because everything, you know, everything we value, hold to and grasp is going to change. So ignorance, is a is the cause of suffering, and ignorance in this case is 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 about dhamma, not knowing, not being dhamma, not being the knowing, not being the awareness. We become somebody who's trying to become aware, uh, get something we don't have, get rid of things we have we don't want. There's an endless cycle of of habitual, of habit patterns that we keep reinforcing. So like this is the karma, the law of karma, we cause an effect. Whatever we grasp out of ignorance, we become like that. So like a sila, morality, is at least a, you know, a, a standard of behavior of action and speech, 
which we tend to not, you know, even in spite of our anger, resentment, desire for revenge, or, or, you know, fear and jealousy, we, we, you know, we determine not to act or speak on these particular emotions. So sila is like a foundation for life. To develop self-respect and to be responsible for action and speech. Some people don't take any responsibility for what they do or say, they just react on impulse, following their immediate emotion, condition that they're grasping. They, They become like that, without reflection, without any standard, such as the five precepts, to refer from. These are standards we adopt, they're human-made standards. Just about action, physical action, how we use our bodies and, and our ability to speak. But in terms of here and now, you know, you can't be, you can't make moral judgments about thoughts or emotions. You know, you can't pass moral, uh, we can't apply morality to, to the mental states. They arise and cease according to conditions. But in terms of action and speech, then we can take responsibility. So if we want to murder somebody, we don't do it. If we feel like telling a lie to somebody, we refrain from it. But it's not immoral to, to feel, you know, to feel murderous or, or wanting to tell lies and things like that. Those are conditions that arise and cease. And they're not self. The world, in the sense world that we're experiencing is about heaven and hell, happiness and, and suffering, about right and wrong, good and bad. It's not like you're creating it. You as a person are, are responsible for your emotions and thoughts. But we do, we can be responsible for action and speech. So that's the sila, the five precepts. And here on this retreat are the eight precepts. I was brought up as a Christian. So the sense of Christian morality was even angry thoughts were immoral. Sexual fantasies were immoral. To feel lust was immoral. So you, 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 as you're growing up, you get very confused because you do have angry or bad thoughts, sexual energies arise in puberty and things like this and 
and then you can only interpret it in terms of Christian morality is immoral, so you're a sinner. So you feel this sense of, you know, that you're, you, that there's something, you know, off in you. There's something not right. And I told this story about when I was about nine years old, I was on public transportation in Seattle, trolley cars, and I was, you know, small then, a small boy standing on a crowded bus, trolley, a trolley, and, uh, you know, surrounded by adult people who were standing above me. And I started getting these terrible thoughts, you know, really evil, terrible thoughts in my mind. And it scared me. I thought, you know, this is, uh, I must really be a bad person, a bad boy. It's only bad people have these kind of thoughts. So it made me frightened of, of myself, you know, what, what was, what dark forces are lurking inside me that I, you know, I can't control. Cause I didn't choose these, these evil thoughts. What, maybe I was picking it up from some of the adult people around me because it, you know, I was still quite innocent at that point. And then with my encounter with Buddhism, Buddha Dhamma, it was like a relief because the sila, the morality applies to action and speech. But for mental phenomena, evil thoughts, negative emotions and so, so forth, are not about morality anymore. They're about the way things are. When we, but the seal is the foundation for action and speech. In terms of mindfulness, we're aware, like an evil thought is a sankara. So your relationship to it is knowing, knowing this mindfulness, knowing a thought say it's a evil thought if you don't if you grasp it then you become guilty or you act on it or speak on it or you be, you 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 develop fears about yourself worry about what kind of character you have what evil dark forces are lurking inside you you can create endless kind of neurotic problems around things like that through grasping negative thinking. But if you trust your awareness, you know, in terms of Dhamma, it is Dhamma, isn't it? it it's a condition, Sankaras are, are Kusla Dhamma, Kusla Dhamma, Apayakata, Dhamma, skillful, unskillful, neutral. So conditions have quality. They can be skillful, neutral or unskillful. But mindfulness isn't about, isn't a quality 
there's no unskillful mindfulness based on the, the foundation of morality, of sila. Do good, refrain from doing bad. Tum di dai di, tum chua dai chua. So in, in meditation, you know, don't observe if, you know, the desire to get rid of bad thoughts or negative thinking or depressive type thoughts or fears. See, you know, it's more or less a welcoming. They are what they are so that you can see the attachment, the, the way we cling or identify with these conditions. But our relationship as Bhutto knowing Dhamma, mindfulness knowing the way it is, is that whatever the quality of the mental state, whether it's skillful, unskillful, or neutral, it's changing. It's anicca dukkha nata. So this is like a way of informing yourself in terms of wisdom. Satipanya, mindfulness, wisdom. One time I was, I was really having trouble with a certain person. And and he was giving me a pretty, you know, difficult time, criticism and backbiting and things like this. So, I developed, uh, you know, a strong aversion to this, just the thought of this person that would arouse, you know, contempt and aversion and anger, resentment. And then one day we're going to have a meeting where this person would be present. So, the night before, you know, I thought, you know, the, just the thought of having to sit through a, a meeting with this person in the room, you know, just in my kuti, thinking about this person, long before it was time to meet this person, it was in, in the evening, suddenly, you know, I just felt, you know, this sense of anger and resentment and, uh, and so I started clinging to this anger and resentment. I decided I'm not just going to try to be a good monk and and dismiss it and try to spread metta to somebody that would arouse such strong negativity. So I started writing on paper 
I had this pad of paper and I started writing out my anger. And I determined that this was not like voodoo. I'm not sending curses to anybody and wishing them ill will. This is just kind of purification technique. Making conscious the negativity, the anger, the resentment. And so I filled about three pages of nasty thoughts. And, and then, you know, I kept trying to think of something more, something more horrible I could say about this person. And after three pages, I couldn't think of anything more. My ability to imagine any more criticisms, nasty comments, insults, blame, and so forth, it just completed. It was, I couldn't arouse any, any, anything more. And then I asked myself, with this mind, it's now free from this anger. It can't create any more angry thoughts or images. What does this mind say now to this person? And it says, I love you. <laughs> so underneath the, all this anger and resentment, you know, that we tend to, to grasp and believe in, you know, is, Beneath that is, is metta, is loving kindness. It's quite a surprise because the only thing I could say when I kind of had fully exhausted my anger and resentment, the only word that would come up was, I love you. And this is more on the metta side of love, the personal love. So this is, you know, it gave me a kind of confidence of, of underneath the anger, resentment, fears, self-consciousness, bitterness, and so forth, that, that emotions can, can produce. The underlying, the, the, the underlying embrace of loving kindness is always present. So when you, you know, just reflect on this, in spite of all the mistreatment and justified anger and resentment, sometimes it's justified. Sometimes we have been mistreated, misunderstood, humiliated and intentionally by others and blame for things we haven't done, and so forth, so that, you know, it's not just that we're making up, you know, out of neurotic uh, self-aversion or projections onto others, scenarios that are, you know, that we create, but sometimes, you know, life can be very unjust, very unfair, Some people don't, you know, hate us or fear us or are jealous of us. 
you know, that we have to live in a world, you know, a society where we have, with families, with uh, co-workers in offices and factories and so forth, where there's all these human individuals grasping their limitations as themselves. So there's inevitably, there's inevitable conflict because the conditions are never going to be the same. We can't all feel the same way about the boss or about the one of the workers or, you know, some, you know, we can be jealous of them or we can see the, be very critical of them. We can be critical of ourselves, critical of the boss. This is the, and so on, on the level of condition phenomena, where can we agree, you know, who's right and who's wrong and where, you know, is it, you know, should, this idea of having love and metta for all sentient beings is it, can be just seen in an idealistic way. So in terms of the ideal, like a Buddhist monk, a bhikkhu should have metta for all sentient beings. That's, that's the ideal. You know, an enlightened Buddhist monk would have love and compassion for all sentient beings. Is, a, is, you know, that's a creation of thought that is based on, a, on superlative thinking, like metta, unconditioned love. Can you, it, create a better thought than that. You know, it's all embracing perfect in its, in, in its ideal form. But it is an ideal, you know, it's a mental creation. But what is the reality of metta here and now? You know, if you're just looking at the ideal of metta, of loving kindness, then you can feel, you know, it's so high above you because there's so much to resent or to be critical of. Society, families, husbands, wives, you know, and political systems and international affairs. And there's so much, you know, that is unpleasant, unwanted, unfair, unjust, ugly, nasty, you know, how are we going to, you know, have, we can feel metta, you know, create the ideal of metta as a, as a thought, as a superlative thought, as an ideal, which is, in terms of experience, is a very high-minded creation. But then we ask ourselves, what is metta, loving-kindness, the reality of it here and now. And it's not what you're feeling. You know, you're emotional. You might want to feel that way. But underlying all the different thoughts, feelings, conditions, self-views that are present in this room now, What is really present is unconditioned love or metta 
karuna, compassion. That's mindfulness, that's dhamma, that's the reality that we take refuge in and mindful our, you know, our true nature, our true identity is mindful, is consciousness, is dhamma, not these conditions that we think we are, the, the bodies, the memories, the emotional habits. So then metta is no longer just being very nice and idealistic. You know, it's, but it's, it's, it's reality itself. Underlying all this confusion, strife, changing conditions. What, what holds everything together? What embraces all conditioned phenomena is Dhamma, which, which is a, you know, can be realized as metta or loving kindness. So even though you, you can be critical of yourself because you, you don't feel loving kindness for some people, you know, I've, in formal practices of metta, you know, like, uh, we chant, you know, these formulas, ahang tukito homi, you start with yourself. May I be well. Ahang sukito homi, may I be well. What does that mean in terms of, can, can you as a personality wish yourself well? You know, is it, is it, you know, your, can, you know, can a thought, is that loving kindness towards yourself, towards your body, towards your mental habits, towards your emotions? So, when, you know, because of a cynical tendency I, I have, you know, I used to find it easier to spread metta to a billion Chinese in China than to myself. Because when I thought of myself, when I think of myself as a person, I'm critical. I tend to criticize, see too many flaws, weaknesses. So, Ahang Sakiru, may I be well, it used to feel, it used to bring up this kind of cynical reaction, like it's smarmy and unreal and untrue. But a billion Chinese, that are no threat to me at this moment, not here. I could do that with no problem. <laughs> or I notice like the monk sitting next to me who's being really irritating. It's difficult to feel loving kindness for it. Or, you know, I lived during the Thatcher period in, in the UK, Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> And most people didn't like her at all. So, so, you know, you, you do, on a meditation retreat, you, you spread loving kindness towards yourself and then to all sentient beings. And then you, then I'd say Margaret Thatcher and 
feel suddenly this kind of resistance. <laughs> but even underneath the version of Margaret Thatcher or Donald Trump or any, any, you know, or Kim Jong-un or any of these present uh, leaders of, of nations who arouse negative emotions, fears, underlying all that aversion, criticism, is loving-kindness. It's, it's reality here and now. So it's not like a creation, it's not a superlative thought pattern that we grasp. But as you, when you say, Ahangsaki to homi, may I be well, it's an attitude towards what you're feeling. You know, having metta for anger, for aversion, for jealousy, for fear, meaning you're not approving of it, or acting, or speaking on it, but you're welcoming it. It is a condition that, that has appeared. And if it appears, you accept it. Embrace it. Let it be. And then it disappears. And loving kindness metta is both for its presence and its absence. Because all conditions are not self. You know, they're not what you believe. You're not what you think you are. Or what you've been told you are. Or what you, you know, habitually believe or assume you are. You know, it's not about assumption, about seeing yourself in terms of limited, limitations, uh, adjectives of good, bad, right and wrong. but what you really are at this moment that you can prove that is the the certainty of this moment that is a fact is that you're conscious you know that it's here and now apparent here and now So this knowing then is awareness which is non-critical. It's not knowing about things whether they're good or bad, right or wrong anymore. But it's about conditioned phenomena arising and ceasing. Sape sankarani cha sape tama anatta. So, this is like a, regarding metta pavana or metta practice, uh, the formal uh, formulas that we use can be just you know, kind of idealistic and and you know good practices. It's good to think may all beings be well and things like that. It's that's skillful thinking. 
but it's still thinking, it's still sankara. May all beings be well is mindfulness. You know, just in that, the simple reality of awareness is metta, karuna, mudita, upega, the Brahma Viharas. Because as you free yourself from delusion and see yourself and let go of the illusions, delusions you have about yourself and the world that you're experiencing, what remains, what Dhamma is, is love, loving kindness, compassion. It's not just an empty kind of, you know, unconscious, emptiness that doesn't care about anything. Like sometimes it sounds like that. That, you know, an arahant just is beyond the world, so the world is the way it is, so, you know, it sounds rather cold-hearted. They're called the divine abodes, like Brahma is a word for the divine. Vihara's dwelling places. Abiding in the divine abodes. Is my, you know, this is mindfulness is, 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 is that, that's what it is. And so it, it recognizes, you know, it's not, it's not just dismissing phenomena. It's not just saying, well, there, everything's impermanent, so just let it go. It's not a, it's not kind of negative rejection of phenomena but uh, a metta towards phenomena, which is, you know, unconditioned love or acceptance the way it is, towards your own moods, towards your own fears, greed or anger, delusions of all sorts. You know, your relationship to them then is, is metta rather than You've got to get rid of this or, you know, seeing it in highly personal terms as something dangerous you've got to reject or get rid of or you start making problems about, you know, why do you get angry and you start figuring out, analyzing why you have all these irrational fears, uh, you know, and you end up going around in circles, thinking about yourself as, as sankharas, endless supply of unrelenting sankharas. Where with mindfulness, awareness, consciousness, isn't critical. It's not judgmental. So whether it's Good or bad, right or wrong, 
awareness knows it's it's like this in terms of action and speech with the physical bodies we act on what is skillful and refrain from acting on what is unskillful because we have to live you know our lifespan of our physical forms you know so it's the physical forms, what are they? We're responsible for their action and speech. We take, that's what sila amounts to, is taking responsibility for that. But then in terms of what you're thinking and feeling, you can't be responsible for that, but you can know, know it in terms of all conditions are impermanent, all Dhamma is not self. So, uh, oftentimes, people will, you know, one time, I remember a, a woman, English woman was on a meditation retreat about metta, developing metta. And uh, I knew this woman quite well, and she'd been on a number of meditation retreats. And then in the middle of the retreat, she came to me. She was very upset, very confused, because the metta practice, she could have metta for everything, but when the monk said, now spread metta to your mother, she just felt anger. And then she said, you know, I must be a terrible person, you know, when I just hate my mother, I can't, you know, I'm so angry when, the, when that, when that image comes up, I just feel anger, I don't feel loving kindness. What am I to do? And, you know, and then she saw herself as a bad person, uh, a flawed character, you know, she was being really critical of herself. So I, I suggested she have metta for her anger. And I found this really works. If you have metta for your anger, your resentment, meaning it's not approving of it, it's not, it's not acting or speaking on it, but metta for it means it's like this. My anger towards my mother is like this. And it's allowing it to be what it is, and it ceases. So it's a way of kind of purifying the whole process. You can't, you know, if, if you feel this anger and resentment towards anybody, and especially someone like your mother, who you're supposed to love, you know, then, you know, you, you can only feel self-critical or you, you say, you know, you'd blame your mother for all your suffering or different reactions of proliferating thoughts get take us away. We, we can believe them and start, you know, believing this anger is really mine or it's justified. You know, we might make a case for a mother that wasn't very kind or compassionate. But in terms of metta, it's non-judgmental. 
may all beings be well, you know. So it's, it's not just good ones or our loved ones or our beloved cat or dog. It's in the sense of metta for mosquitoes and flies, <laughs> which are really annoying creatures. <laughs> but at least, you know, the, this attitude, we have metta for the aversion you have to them. I mean, it's like this, and you want to kill a mosquito or a fly because it's so annoying. And and then you say, I should have metaphor there, you know, all sentient beings. And then you get carried away with being, I can't have metaphor, flies or mosquitoes. I hate them. These kind of annoying insects. But you can't have metta, which is for the emotion of aversion and wanting to annihilate them is like this. And you don't do it. You refrain from action, speech. So that's why, you know, encouraging, don't create fear around what you're feeling about anger or jealousy or You know, the idea you shouldn't be afraid of anything. Have metaphor fear. It's like this. It's not, you know, it's not idolizing metta. It's allowing conditions to be what they are. Because they can only be the way they are. When you're feeling fear, it can only, fear can only be like this. It's not a, you know, not something you choose. But the conditions for fear arise, and this is what you're feeling. And metta, then, is it's like this. Allowing it to be, welcoming it, accepting it. It is what it is. And in that relationship, you can let go of it. Which is not annihilating it, but fear is a impermanent, not self. 